Hey everybody, Christian here. Before we get to the podcast, I just wanted to mention that I used a different microphone than I'm used to on this particular episode. So I just wanted to let you guys know uh, before the episode started that if the audio is really low or for, you know, off for whatever reason than the usual podcasts, it is because of that. So uh, I apologize if you have to turn up the volume a little bit on this episode, but um, that's just kind of how the microphone ended up turning out. So uh, again, uh, apologies for that, but um, everything should go back to normal uh, next week for the next episode. And also I apologize for this episode being a little late. I ran into some issues, had to re-record some of it. So, um, but here it is, everybody, the episode for uh, Spooky Season Episode 2, Disney Channel, original movies, Don't Look Under the Bed. Princess McCond is being framed by the boogeyman. The only one who can help her is an imaginary friend named Larry. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. So, leave the light on. Keep the door open. And whatever you do, don't look under the bed. All right, picture it. It's 1999. You're at home. It's fall. Disney Channel. Yes. I said Disney Channel. I'm 31 years old. Disney Channel back in the day was my shit. Not gonna lie. I'm gonna own it. Anyway, Disney Channel has officially started showing their more spooky DCOMs or Disney Channel original movies for those not in the know. Uh, You got your usual suspects, Halloween Town, Under Wraps, which apparently they remade or did a sequel to. I, I don't know which one it is, but you got those. But there's one movie, one that has withstood the test of time to this day with fans like myself. One that Disney Channel uh, got complaints about because they said it was too scary for children and one that no longer, at least that I'm aware of anyway, I don't don't really watch Disney Channel that much anymore, um, or at all, I should say, unless, you know, Halloween Town's on, then I will pop it on. Although I can just go on Disney Plus for that. Anyway, um, one that no longer gets shown on Disney Channel, uh, and that is Don't Look Under the Bed. Simple premise, Francis Bacon McClausen, yes, her middle name, was Bacon, in case you forgot, because I know I did, uh, is being framed for some dastardly deeds, and the only one that believes she's not doing them is her little brother's imaginary friend named Larry, which she and only she can suddenly see. And we don't find out that he's the little brother's imaginary friend until later in the movie, but I'm saying that now for, you know, uh, synopsis' sake. The culprit to the deeds is, of course, none other than the boogeyman itself, and to stop it, Francis teams up with Larry to take the boogeyman down once and for all. That's the general gist of the movie. But I completely forgot a huge part of the movie, which is pretty heavy for a 90-minute-ish TV movie, let alone a Disney Channel movie. Now, I didn't find Don't Look Under the Bed too scary when I watched it as a kid. I don't know. Maybe I was already traumatized by the Halloweens in the world and aliens and other horror movies that I happened to see at that young age, I did find some parts creepy. And the design of the boogeyman itself was pretty cool, even by pretty much by today's standards. It's okay for a straight-to-TV movie or now, in this case, a straight-to-streamer movie. He could, I say that with much emphasis, he could have been scarier, apparently, because earlier designs uh, were, I guess, more crow-like, and he had like quills speaking uh, speaking out of him, sticking out of uh, out of him, and his face was not as visible as it was. I guess they were gonna like I don't know, like shallow it out or something along those lines. But director Kenneth Johnson told the designers to tone the scariness down, and hence you know we got the Victorian clothing, 
rhyme speak boogeyman that that we got in the movie it still got though a pg rating uh and with that it made it the second decom to receive it and that's you know obviously pretty big especially back then in the 90s now that said i looked forward to october when they started showing out halloween so i watched it that said i looked forward to october when they started to show it you know during october during the halloween season i did notice throughout the years even then that they didn't show it as frequently as they did when it first came out which i was kind of bummed about and don't get me wrong you know again you had you know halloween town and all that stuff but i always you know really liked don't look under the bed and then it just disappeared it 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 stopped showing up and they you know obviously put their focus in on halloween town and and hocus pocus and um you know their other decoms that uh, were not deemed uh, too scary for children (laughs) But obviously, thanks to Disney+, Plus, uh, it can now be enjoyed all over again, which is what I did. Now, before we get to the rewatch experience, I do want to note some things. I mentioned director Kenneth Johnson. And it wasn't until recently that I went back and saw who was involved behind the camera on this project. Uh, you know, I was you know doing a little bit of research for, for the movie. Johnson, before he did this, he was known for, very well known, for being one of the creators and directing... TV episodes for TV series like Bionic Woman and The Incredible Hulk. So those are very big TV shows back in the day. And he was one of the writers and creators and directors of episodes for that, for that series. Uh, he also directed two-part TV miniseries um, V, the original V. Uh, so he was a really big deal. And he also directed all the TV movies for Alien Nation, which was you know, a really big show back in the day. And also had a hand in, in, in creating that as well. So he was a really big deal and obviously as a kid i didn't care who was directing the movie all i cared was you know all i cared about was what was happening on screen but obviously now doing some research i didn't realize that he had directed this movie wise before he directed this he directed short circuit 2 he directed and wrote steel yes that one the shaquille o'neal superhero movie he directed that and the same year that don't look under the bed came out he also directed another famed decom movie, which, you know, maybe I'll do like a decom special next year or something like that. Xenon, the girl from the 21st century. He directed that. I didn't know any of this, again, until I started looking up stuff about the movie. So, obviously, seeing that, I wanted to see what else I had been missing out on. So, writing-wise, the movie was written by Mark Edward Edens, who is predominantly a writer on animated TV shows. A lot of ones that were very big and fan favorites the real ghostbusters chippendale rescue rangers little shop which was the animated series based off little shop of horrors the original uh the og teenage mutant ninja turtle uh animated series x-men the animated series mummies alive if anybody remembers that show i loved mummies alive sonic underground and, and a bunch of a bunch of more like the list goes on and on and the stuff that he has he was written or that he has written for for animated i think he's still working today so this, Don't Look Under the Bed, was literally one of three live-action movies that he wrote. Uh, one was some really obscure movie from the 80s that I didn't write down. And I, I couldn't even fathom telling you what the title was because I, I honestly don't remember. The other was another DCOM in The Luck of the Irish. Producer-wise, I won't get too into them. One of them uh, continued to produce DCOM movies before he passed away in 2015, and that was uh, Don Shachane. Uh, I don't know. or uh, I don't know how to pronounce the last name. I think it's Shachane. Uh, I'm sorry if I pronounced that wrong. Uh, Jeff Morton, uh, he went on to produce many successful and favorite TV shows like Don't Trust to Be in Apartment 23, uh, the the new Hulu series reboot, and probably one of the biggest sitcoms, whether you like it or not, uh, Modern Family. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. 
And the other big one is David Lancaster. Now, David Lancaster produced some stuff uh, here and thereafter. Uh, Don't Look Under the Bed, which, of course, came out in, in uh, the late 90s. But Burt Lancaster, uh, or Dan Lancaster, David Lancaster. Who's Burt Lancaster? <laughs> but uh, David Lancaster in 2011 produced two Ryan Gosling movies. He direct, uh, or produced rather, not direct. He produced Only God Forgives and Drive. And in 2013, he produced, he was one of the producers anyway, on Whiplash. And in 2014, he produced the Jake Gyllenhaal movie Nightcrawler. So he went from DCOMs and like a bunch of small, little, really small movies, TV movies, to producing uh, in 2011 through 2014, some of the big movies with big stars in it. And that that's pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. That's pretty cool. And who knew? Uh, DCOMs uh, had that much talent, right? Because I didn't, and, and that kind of surprised me. So uh, that's one of the reasons why, like, I I've penciled in kind of a DCOM um, special uh, or special series for next year. But that that's a whole other story. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about spooky season, and we're here to talk about one of probably the quintessential kind of uh, horror uh, or at least horror adjacent. Uh, movies for Disney Channel. I mean, you, you can't really count Halloween Town. That's really kind of more of a. I mean, it got it's got spooky stuff in it. But I think if you if you look down the line of DComs, I would have to say that Don't Look Under the Bed is the quintessential horror movie for them. Um, so I, I would say that, even though it's you know a straight to TV movie, it's still a straight to TV family slash kids movie. Uh, so there wasn't. Any you know, there's no gore or anything like that, so we'll just, we'll just go with that. Anyway, uh, let's get to the rewatch experience. Uh, the movie starts off with Francis doing a voiceover, talking about the town of Middleburg, where the story takes place, and having a dream like she's soaring over the town. Uh, kind of like a, a POV style, um, you know, kind of quick movements almost, you know. Kind of, I, I, I tuned it to Evil Dead just because it's a horror thing, and that, that's what I tuned it to. But this sets off. Uh, this sets off a series of pranks, like clocks going off three hours earlier, extremely spotty CG with dogs on the roof of their houses. A little bit later on, uh, Mr. Kepler, who is a science teacher, who Frances notes to her friend Joe, who literally has like probably three scenes in the entire movie, uh, and only two of them where she's talking, says uh, the, uh, it's her favorite teacher, or she's his favorite student. And he gets his really nice old sports car egged and suspects her for the flim, flimliest of reasons. And, and that will lead to something we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, there's Jello in the pool that acts super quick because at one point a girl's about to dive in. And like you see the water turn red and it, it immediately turns to straight up Jello. And the shot, even though we probably know it's fake, the way they did it, I think because it's so well lit. It does. It, it. I mean, it's obviously fake, but it looks like they like she was kind of sort of really there. So, um, and we'll talk about this the CG a little bit more later. Uh, there was gallons of water in school buses, bees in the principal's office, and then the letter B, graffitied all over town. Um, and and that will be a point that I get to a little bit later as well, because apparently that plays a factor in something which doesn't make sense in hindsight now when you think about it. But we'll, again, we'll get to that when I when I get to it. And then uh, her best friend, Joe, gets turned against her because there was, in plants, not graffiti, not 
you know, some ad in the local newspaper or school newspaper or something like that. No, it's there. It says uh, Joe Hart's Burt in like really small too in plants in their yard. And Bert is short for Albert, who is Francis's older brother and someone that Joe has a crush on and someone we'll talk a little bit about um, a little bit later. But yeah, so then for some reason, at one point, Francis gets to school and everyone is frozen, kind of like, you know, like mines or, or whatever. And the bell rings and everybody starts to move again. There's no reason for that. That that one seemed kind of odd. Uh, and then the bees come back into the picture at some point, and they're all over the lockers. They're everywhere in school. They're all over the lockers, except for Francis's locker, who has the bee inside. And she makes like this joke, like, what's so special about my locker with all the other bees and everyone staring at her? And then everyone's like, oh, it's got to be her. It's got to be her. And then she opens her locker, and there's a, there's a bee in there. Again, in my head, uh, wouldn't it have made more sense to put an F everywhere because her name is Francis. Does everybody at the school know her name is Bacon? I mean, if you have a middle name like Bacon, I'm sure that will get around and everyone will know you as the kid who has the middle name Bacon. But that doesn't really seem to be the thing here. Uh, so I find it a little weird that they would, you know, uh, do that with the with the bees. Maybe it was just these, maybe they just had the stencil bees and they couldn't find the letter Fs anywhere. Uh, yeah, that was a little weird. But anyway, whatever. Larry then finally introduces himself. Kind of creepy when you think about it. Now in hindsight, I kind of think about it. It's kind of creepy because he he's like chilling in the background, like laying out, like, you know, just like he's just like just chilling somewhere, like on, on like a random rock on school grounds and watching Francis and Joe from a distance, checking them out. He's basically just checking them out. And Larry is, I would say Larry's very eccentric. If you had to pick a word for Larry. Um, probably, some people will probably pick annoying. Uh, I would say he's just very eccentric. And I mean, he's an imaginary friend, right? He's probably got to be a little eccentric. Francis is already kind of different because uh, it's noted that she skipped a grade. And um, she's now, you know, in high school. And she's obviously smarter than everybody. And uh, she's a very logic-based kind of person, which, you know, we get uh, at the very beginning of the movie where, you know, all the clocks are turned back and the parents are, you know, they're all awake and she's like, this has to be a very logical explanation, very logical explanation for it. And she says that multiple times throughout the movie, like halfway through the movie, she's said that at least maybe like eight, ten times. Not even kidding. If you wanted to start a drinking game, you would be a little, you know, lightheaded by the end of the movie. But so at, at, at a certain point when Francis and Larry start finally, you know, interacting, she's goes up to him. She goes up to him at the lunchroom and Larry kind of does like this thing where he's like, you know, going in front of people and saying all this stuff and doing all these things. And then Francis is like, can anybody else see this guy? And no, no, because they can't because Larry's invisible. And then she gets blamed for everything that was going on or having some sort of connection as to what's going on because again the flimliest of reasons possible during the class scene uh which is the only one we get in the movie you know she's supposed to be in school at some point and she's only in school for like the first 10 minutes of the movie 10-15 minutes of the movie she's in class mr kepler's class uh class at that and francis is asking people around if their clocks were sent back 
uh, like three, I think it's like three hours. Yeah, it's three hours. And he finds it suspicious. And again, when the school's o- when school's over, he comes out in his Agus card and who happens to be standing outside, confused and shocked uh, as much as he is, Francis. Even though Francis looks uh, concerned that, you know, her teacher, her, one of her favorite teachers, cars have been vandalized but he's like no she has something to do with it she has to have something to do with it again just you know flimliest of reasons it's a you know 90 minute movie you gotta have some drama in there at some point anyway uh there's a uh heavy big thing that i mentioned that i forgot about and it kind of gets introduced at, at this point we find out uh, and it gets introduced because uh, francis's mom has to come to the school because francis having you know a, a meeting with everybody uh, with the principal and Mr. Kepler and, and the school psychiatrist and stuff. And um, there, we get this reveal in the movie that Darwin, who is Francis' little brother, yes, his name is Darwin, had, had and I say had, leukemia. Yes, they gave the little kid in this movie cancer. <laughs> and he's in remission. And it's clearly stated that he's in remission. And the older brother, Albert, was the one that gave him bone marrow to survive. And that kind of comes into play a little bit throughout the movie um, of that decision and Francis' Francis' decision of, you know, she couldn't live with it. And it comes from the mom. Again, this this information comes from the mom. And the mom is in the room talking, uh, revealing this information, while Francis is outside. She's sitting, like, on a a bench. She has, they gave her, like, a towel because they're... At some point, Francis was running around the school uh, trying to lead the principal and the psychiatrist and Mr. Kepler to Larry, even though, again, Larry's not. They can't see Larry, so Larry's doing all these like crazy antics like uh, playing uh, a band drum on top of a piano, and Francis is like, you can't see him, and you know stuff like that. So like I mentioned, Francis is outside at this point because their mom's talking to them, and they gave her, <laughs> I guess... You know, because she's a woman and she probably is going, she's probably going through a thing. They gave her like a like a hot towel to put over her face. So she's laying down and she puts a towel over her face. And this is the closest I think we get to a Nightmare on Elm Street like reference or scene. I mean, we get another one later. Uh, but at this point, it's like the closest thing we get to like a Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, Francis is sleeping on the, or on the verge of sleep. And we see the boogeyman's hand trying to get her. And then she wakes up. So it's kind of like she has like this otter body experience and she sees the hand as she wakes up so that's rather you know i was like okay this, this is what we're doing and there's a few horror references uh throughout we get a shining reference a little bit later where where larry or, or francis is like okay i believe you it's the boogeyman like okay i believe you and maybe it is the boogeyman whatever and let's go you know let, let, let's go try to stop him i guess and larry ends up taking her to a library and um, the shining reference comes because there's these kids watching like TV and they're being like really loud and the librarian's just telling them to be quiet, even though they're little kids in a library. Like, all right, come on. But again, family, antics, whatever. And Larry finds this book that's supposed to help them get rid of the boogeyman. And um, at that point, you know, Larry, because he's an imaginary friend, he can be seen by little kids. I guess that's a rule that if you're, you know, if you're a kid and you believe in magic and you believe in imaginary friends you can see every imaginary friend and larry's you know um with all the kids and at one point they're watching story time like on tv and larry uh goes in and he does a shiny reference like here's larry and you know 
So going on with the movie, Francis continues, again, like I said, she's, the whole time, uh, saying that everything has a logical explanation, and that she's an adult, and doesn't have time for childish things, and we find out, and that's kind of when, essentially, we find out at that point that Larry was Darwin's imaginary friend, and Darwin can't see him anymore because Francis told Darwin to stop believing in imaginary things and grow up when, you know, he survived his uh, leukemia. Which leads to Larry's uh, eye changing into like this purple color, like a really nasty purple color, which is a running color throughout the whole movie. Anytime the boogeyman is around, there's kind of like this purple, you know, smoke or haze or, or whatever. And it looks like he's about to attack her. And it leads to a very heavy conversation. Again, that seems odd for a Disney Channel movie. <laughs> Especially, you know, there's there's always you know heavy stuff. I think when you when you look back, there's always been heavy stuff in the Disney Channel movies. It's always like one of the parents are dead, or both of them are dead, and they're living you know with an aunt or an uncle, or one of their siblings is gone or or whatever, and you know, or their life is being uprooted. But Darwin's leukemia and how Francis didn't give any bone marrow, even though she wanted to but couldn't, because she says the doctors told her that she couldn't at all and she wasn't a match and only her brother was a match it's it feels really heavy to have in the kids movie but it's also hard to take that spe specific conversation because anywhere else in another movie that scene would have been extremely heavy and credit to aaron chambers who you know um who who you know d does a great job uh when it comes to the when it comes to the whole movie but when it comes to those very big, heavy scenes, um, she sells it. And any scene where she has to like cry or get really emotional, you buy it because she's re she's really good at it. And but it's hard to take that specific conversation seriously because Larry is in a genie outfit the whole time when he's doing all these things and he's kind of playing it off a little bit. Or playing playing off um, Francis's, you know, pleas that you know she wanted to do it, but he's telling her that she was scared the whole time and um, she's not buying it and, and whatever. So it, again, it's a very heavy scene in the middle of a movie where you, you don't know if that's really important to have <laughs> in a movie, um, but you know, whatever. Uh, and, and Larry, by the way, now that I mentioned Aaron Chambers, which by the way, she's only done one like real big thing before doing this and it was the substitute three <laughs> the substitute three was the kind of real big thing that aaron chambers had done before she did this and this is kind of her first lead which i thought was tremendous and you know since then she's done a bunch of like small work and stuff and like tv appearances uh she was in like soap operas for a little bit so she pops in every now she's still working so good, good for her but larry is played by um ty hodges who at this point is probably known for even Stevens at that point. I'm assuming that's probably what he's mainly known for at that point. Or this is right before he joined even Stevens. But that's where he's known for. He's known for even Stevens. Uh, so back to the movie. We get our first look at the Boogeyman. Uh, finally. Uh, having a brief showdown with Larry uh, on top of uh, the house. And it's a nice tease that Larry is becoming a Boogeyman. Because that's kind of what he tells him. Because he's taunting him a bit while, he, while he's saying it. And the lights go out everywhere all over town. Lights are all out. We get a shot of lights going out all over town. And Francis's house is the only house with power. And because the boogeyman is a trickster, he decks out their house with Christmas lights. 
which is literally the next morning, shows the father going out to go pick up um, his newspaper, which is the father's played by uh, Steve Troposky, which is really, really funny. But he goes out and there's a bunch of news outlets uh, in front of their house. And uh, he kind of rushes inside and, and their phone's going off, the, their house, their front door's being banged on. And they're asking, like, why are you the only house with light or, or with power? Uh, why everyone else doesn't have any power? So uh, for whatever reason, they all leave the house, <laughs> except for Francis. Francis is the only one that stays. And it gives her and Larry time to work on a machine that will age the boogeyman. And that's kind of how what they're ref- that's kind of how they're hoping they can beat the boogeyman with this machine that ages him. While making a reference to black and white movies too, uh, for kicks, just because, you know, whatever. And like he has got like a lab coat and he's doing kind of his Eeyore slash, you know, Dr. Frankenstein impression a little bit. The machine works. In a weird way, it works. Like, it doesn't, like, on a carton of milk, and it makes it go, like, a fresh carton of milk, and it makes it go sour. So he's like, it ages up everything, so it, it should be fine. And then Larry goes back to the book, and he makes Boogie Goo. <laughs> it's 90s. It's the 90s. Come on. Which is to lead the boogeyman to the machine. All of that while the psychiatrist has come over for dinner because the father invited him uh, because the parents think that Francis needs help. And uh, why not, you know, bring, you know, bring over the psychiatrist. And Francis goes into the kitchen at one point, see, you know, seeing Larry making the boogie goo. And then the mom goes in because she smells something. And Francis and, and the mom have sort of a heart to heart. And you're like, okay, maybe it's leaning somewhere. And the mom's like, oh, I got to go because, you know, whatever's going on. And stuff happens. And we see some a few other things happen. And we see Darwin come into the kitchen and step on some boogie goo that Larry had dropped on the dropped on the floor. And at this point, they're in Darwin's room. Larry's in Darwin's room, like looking for something. And he gives him like she gives, uh, he gives Francis like a, a toy car that um, apparently Darwin lost and was looking for. And Larry finally found it. And they're talking, and um, you know Darwin comes in, and he's like, "What are you doing? What are you doing in my room?" And Francis is like, "Just you know, go play in my room. It's fine. Like whatever." But this conversation leads to something else where we finally see Larry becoming more and more like the boogeyman. And we do get what I consider, even now, I, would, I, I can see it at their point of view, considered a scary shot. And it's of Larry, it's like ground level, it's Larry on the floor, and he's crawling on the floor toward the camera at one point. And you're like, what is he doing? And because Darwin stepped on you know, uh, on the floor, he's like going toward like the boogie goo spot where Darwin was standing and he's licking it. And then he goes to Francis cause he thinks he stepped on Cause you know, he thinks that she stepped on it and she's like, I didn't step on any boogie goo. What are you talking about? And then that's when they realize it was Darwin. And we get a shot of Darwin playing in Francis's room on her bed. We see the purple haze and light underneath the bed come out and we see the hand come out and grab Darwin and Darwin, gets sucked under the bed so they go back to her room and larry tells um francis that darwin is in the boogie world which she immediately doesn't believe in even after everything she's read seen heard she still can't believe that there is a thing called the boogie world yes ridiculous sounding but with everything that was going on with everything that happened you really don't believe that there is this magical world underneath a bed uh so that that was you know okay 
And then we get another heavy scene. And again, this is where Erin Chambers is killing it. And Francis admits that she was scared of giving Darwin bone marrow. And Darwin, or not Darwin, Larry says, uh, Larry's, you know, telling her that she can't go with him because it's too dangerous and, and stuff like that. And he can get lost on there. He can't, you know, he can't worry about her, especially considering that he's also turning into a boogeyman himself. And he knows it. So he's like, you can't go. And Francis is like, no, I need to go. I was scared then. I'm not going to be scared now. And she admits, you know, to him that he, she was scared. And Dar and Larry uh, is like, yeah, we all get scared. It's, you know, it, it happens. It's, it's human nature. It, it's it's just, you know, that's just who we are. We get we all get scared. And then he goes under the bed, leaving Francis there by by herself. And Francis, of course, being you know very persistent in her ways and wanting to go save her own brother, um, starts to go under the bed. And we get an, again another you know nice horror reference to Poltergeist, because there is, she pulls the covers from underneath the bed and there is a clown toy. I think they got the closest thing that probably looks like the clown from Poltergeist, and she kind of just like grabs it and throws. It's like I hate, I hate that thing, which is really nice. And then she goes under and we enter the boogie world, which is filled with oversized children's toys and things that get lost under the bed, like pencils and sandwiches and socks and shoes and stuff like that. It's very interesting. Um, very cluttered. <laughs> but, you know, again, there's a reason to. So we get there underneath and Francis and Larry try to, or at first, uh, to get to where they're supposed to go, they use the toy that... Um, uh, that Larry found for Darwin, his his uh, Darwin's car, and they use that to you know kind of go and try to get to wherever they think the boogeyman is holding Darwin. Um, very very you know like probably like a matte painting or you know like a, like one of those like moving pictures that they use like in the old like old timey things or maybe like a green screen or an actual green screen that could have been it too. Um, that's where you kind of really see this the spotty CG come back into play. But uh, they get there and. Larry has this extension cord connected to the machine and kind of pretty much their tether back to the real world. And it is the longest damned extension cord in the world. Like seriously, like it can, it can, it's as long as the runway in Furious 6. Like, <laughs> like it is, it is seriously that long. Like I get like maybe time and space don't, aren't the same thing in Boogie World underneath the bed, but it is the longest like extension cord in the world. So at this point, uh, they find Darwin and they find the boogeyman. And Larry at this point, unfortunately, has become full boogeyman. Makeup and everything, long nails, um, all that all that stuff. But Francis convinces Darwin that Larry is real again. We, we get kind of like a callback to the library where like the librarian in the story time is like reading a book and like if you believe in magic and you believe in something enough clap your hands and that's what francis tells darwin to do like clap your hands if you believe in larry and darwin does it he says he believes and Dar larry basically unboogies himself and he's back to his normal self and it leads to a fight between larry and the boogeyman where the boogeyman's you know, like extends his, na his nails and kind of like a claw fashion yeah, kind of in a claw fashion, and Darwin, or not Darwin, Larry is using, uh, like, a pen. <laughs> and he sounds like the pen is mightier than a sword while he's, you know, fighting with the boogeyman. With an 
oversized pen as a sword, basically. And Darwin, during by the during all this, by the way, he's stuck in a sock somewhere, and he's almost thrown off a cliff into the abyss by the boogeyman before Larry unboogies himself. Uh, so I guess that could be scary for kids too, I guess, or for parents uh, watching uh, for their kids. And Francis, during the fight between the bo- bo- boogeyman and Larry, uh, finds a battery and she works, you know, her science magic and uh, tries to make the machine to work again because obviously they don't have any power because the extension cord uh, becomes unplugged at one point. And Francis manages to connect the machine and the giant battery and turns the boogeyman into surprisingly an old woman because uh, the boogeyman is, you know, a man. And the boogeyman, because he's you know he's so evil, he fights it off. And Francis says he's not a, she's not afraid anymore. Um, very Nancy, Freddy, the other Nightmare on Elm Street reference that I made. And then boom, we get a revelation that the boogeyman is actually Francis's old imaginary friend named Zoe, because obviously you know we get the, the we get the idea that if Larry is becoming a boogeyman because he was Darwin's imaginary friend. And Darwin didn't believe in her anymore. Larry says that if you're an imaginary friend and your friend doesn't believe in you anymore, you become a boogeyman. So this boogeyman has only been haunting Francis. And the only reason he took Darwin, or at this point she took Darwin, is because, you know, um, he, had, she, he had the boogie goo, but also because he happened to be in Francis's room. And we find out that the boogeyman is actually Francis's old imaginary friend named Zoe, who is dressed in the old Victorian outfit, uh, which is very similar to a doll. We see a doll every now and then in Francis's room, and she's dressed just like her, which is probably how uh, Francis got the inspiration for Zoe in that outfit. And the whole movie, the boogeyman, when he's kind of taunting Francis, calls her Franny. And Zoe, or yeah, Fran- uh, Francis finally reveals that the only person that ever called her Franny was Zoe. And she was the boogeyman this whole time. And Zoe goes back. She unboogeymans herself and becomes Zoe again. No explanation as to why she becomes a man or a boogie person, as Zoe keeps stating throughout uh, when Larry is like, wow, what? Like, how are you a woman? Uh, he's a she? Like, that's, I think that's literally a lie. He's a she. And we hear from the dad, because the dad comes in at this point, because they're all back in Francis's room. The dad comes in and uh, he says that, hey, Francis, we, we know you had nothing to do with this because uh, the next town over, Centerville, <laughs> no imagination. Um, Centerville, everything's happening over there as well. And earlier in the movie, we get this idea that um, Larry has like this deep connection to something, to someone else. Because he's like, uh, the man in my head sent me. And he's like, he sent me to come help you. So we don't know who the man in, the, in Larry's head is. But it's always kind of like the staticky sound, like, you know, trying to find a radio frequency. And um, he's getting it, and he reveals that, you know, he has to go uh, deal with it. And then Zoe pretty much uh, volunteers to be like, you can't handle him on your own. Let me go. Like, let me go help you. So Zoe and Larry uh, say they have to go leave and deal with the other boogeyman that's causing trouble. And after a controversial kiss between Larry and Francis, I'll get to that in a minute. But, I mean... The main reason, Francis is white and Larry is black, uh, which didn't really seem like a big big deal to me when I was a kid, so that didn't really matter. But uh, again, we'll get to that in a second. And we get this nice moment between Francis and and Darwin at the end talking about um, being, not being afraid anymore. And we see Larry and Zoe watching over them before they disappear and the credits start rolling and they play 
and they play uh they play boogie wonderland by earth wind and fire which chef's kiss honestly really i mean you couldn't you couldn't tie that in any more than you wanted to and and that's the movie so overall despite the questionable cg and 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 it's a very surprisingly few scenes and some of the other worldly looks in in boogie world don't look under the bed isn't that bad there are some nice practical stuff and camera tricks uh and stunts like larry stepping out of a out of a mirror at one point and at one point larry is coming out of the the giant pan of boogie goo that he makes and francis opens like the cupboards underneath him and you don't see his feet so it's a nice camera trick that they that they managed to pull off Yes, it is extremely 90s looking, and some of the dialogue is very clunky, and Francis is uneven as a character a little bit, because you like her, and at other times, y- you, you're like, how are you still finding all of this unbelievable? You, you've seen it, you, you see everything, and you can't, even if you want to take the logical explanation, as she does many, many times, again, you can start a drinking game how many times she says that, it's it, like some of the stuff is like no you can't find a reason for that so yeah but the movie moves actually pretty fast uh, i know it's you know e- even for like a for an hour and a half movie it doesn't feel that way and there's re- there's not really any moments where the movie slows down even the scenes where the parents are talking to each other convincing them trying to convince themselves that francis is either okay or or she needs help it doesn't slow the movie down like typically those are probably be scenes that slow a movie down but it doesn't and by the time i realized what time it was the movie was already in the final act, and I was like, okay, this thing's moving really faster than I thought it would. Like I've been mentioning, I, I totally forgot about the Darwin having leukemia uh, st- story, and it's kind of odd that they would put that something, they would put something as serious as that in the movie. I'm sure they could have found another way to bring the theme of growing up and not being afraid some other way instead of giving, again, this little boy cancer. And even though it says that, you know, they say that he's in remission, and it probably has been for a while, it does just seem, it totally, and he seems totally fine, it seems odd, and along with that, you know, you have the older brother of Albert being an important part of Darwin and Francis' story, he disappears before the final act of the movie, it's almost like he doesn't exist anymore in the movie, he's not in the final scene where the parents come into Francis' room with Darwin, the last time we see him is the dinner scene with the psychiatrist, and he says, do you excuse me, I have to go, you know, be somewhere else, and poof, he's gone. No more talking about him, no more explanations about him, other than, you know, Francis and, and Larry having that final scene before he goes into Boogie World. That's it. And Darwin, who's like, who has like a minute of screen time more than the brother, becomes more important to the story at the end of the movie. So I don't know if it was important to have Albert in the movie. I mean, I guess it was because, you know, they needed a reason for, for Darwin and Francis, you know, Francis's fear of being, a, you know, of of being helpless i guess but i don't know i think i i i, I, I they could have found another way to, to bring all that into the movie instead of giving a little kid cancer and <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying uh, again all that said i still enjoyed the movie for what it was again it's it's late 90s cheesy a bit uh, with most of it coming from larry i like the boogeyman lore they created for the movie not not the machine that seemed kind of weird and, and, and lame uh but but everything else seemed kind of cool and i wouldn't have minded if they did another one or even made like a legacy sequel you know or a remake they're doing you know legacy sequels and you know are, are a whole new thing and you know disney channel doing a remake for under wraps like that kind of opens the doors to them maybe redoing some of their 
older stuff, not necessarily some of their classics. Like, I don't see them redoing Halloween Town because that would be ridiculous. And I think a lot of people would be very upset. But if they like redid this, obviously it would probably be a little bit more toned down, especially with all the hubbub of parents even these days or even back in the den because back in the day they said that this movie was too scary for their kids which i think is kind of an overreaction i did mention i did mention you know there's some creepy parts like larry crawling on the floor seemed a bit and there's like literally probably like two jump scares if that and even then if you're familiar with the horror genre or anything like that you kind of know where they're coming from so i don't know the, the, that whole kind of part uh just seems kind of odd like, it's not going to be a danger to your kids. It's not going to welcome, you know, your kids to opening the gates of hell like that Hocus Pocus uh, lady um, from Texas. Uh, I would recommend Don't Look Under the Bed to anyone who has seen it so you can go rewatch it or hasn't seen it in a while like myself because it doesn't um, it doesn't completely hold up all the way against some of the questionable CGI and but it's not surprisingly too cheesy. Even for like a late 90s movie, especially a late 90s TV movie for Disney Channel, it's still pretty good and it moves pretty fast. So you won't necessarily, you know, be, you know, too, um, too like, oh, I got, you know, why did I watch this? Like, no, it moves pretty fast. It, it'll be fine. Some, some final notes that I mentioned, um, that I wanted to talk about rather, uh, jo- uh, Johnson, the director fought for that kiss between Francis and Larry, like I mentioned to happen, even though Disney at the time was worried what some of their quote, southern affiliates would think about it different times obviously uh but johnson stood his ground and he shot it and they made it into the movie so good 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 for johnson for doing that there was also an ending change apparently they had a uh a a tetra fusion ending where francis would use it but instead they went with the power of having no fear aka how to kill freddy in (laughs) How to Kill Freddy Krueger because it would have meant more. It, it, it would have meant more for her to grow as a character instead of, you know, just using something to destroy the evil villain at the end. And I think it would. I think this ending probably was better because it does show some growth in Francis and having you know a better connection with Darwin, which it doesn't seem like she has a connection with Darwin. Like yeah, they're brothers and they have like little like little brief scenes in the kitchen, but other than that, we don't really have. She doesn't really have a relationship with anybody in the movie. Again, only an hour and a half movie. And a lot of her screen time is with Larry most of the time. But yeah, I like Don't Look Under the Bed. I don't know if it will. I'll add it to the yearly rewatches. But every year or so, yeah, I, I think I'd watch it again for sure. So there you go. Don't Look Under the Bed. Okay, uh, next week. It was supposed to be an overall found footage movie episode. But I did a tweak to it a little bit because it wasn't coming out like I fully wanted to. And even the episode that I have right now, the outline that I have... It still feels a little off, but I'm going to talk about found footage movies next week. A lot of it will be focused on the movies that I have watched and some that um, I think touchstones to the genre, to the subgenre, rather. So that's next week. I uh, hope you guys enjoy this episode. Don't look under the bed. I apologize for this episode being late. I mentioned on Twitter that I had to re-record some of it. Some of this was a re-recording, uh, so I apologize for that. Uh, and if we're being late, I, tr- I will try to get the found footage up- episode up on time next week. And, uh, and yeah, so thank you guys so much for listening. Let me know what you guys thought of the episode. If you have watched, don't under, don't look under the bed. What were your thoughts on the movie? Have you watched it in a while? Do you want to watch it now after me going through everything? Uh, let me know in the comments. Uh, if you're listening to this on YouTube, in the comments down below, or if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, you can go check out the social media links, which are linked down below. I'm always up on there. I'm pretty active on there. Look at it every day. So, uh, yeah, let me know what you guys thought. So, 
Thank you guys. I will see you guys next week. And I will see you guys at the end of the week for the weekly roundup of news. And I will also see you guys next week as well to continue spooky season here on the Movie Pit Podcast. Thank you guys so much. I will see you guys next time. Have a good one.